Let us pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, you are the one who became a curse on the lumber of the cross for us. Make us partakers of this divine blessing. Let your holy blood flow over us so that we thereby are washed of our sin and are given to drink of eternal life. Send your Holy Spirit so that we will use your patient endurance, obedience, and life as a pattern to which we live our own lives of faith. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Isaiah chapter 53, verses 6 and 7. We all have gone astray like sheep. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has charged all our guilt to him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent in front of its shearers, he did not open his mouth. This is the word of our Lord. We have been working during this Lent season through Isaiah 52, verse 13, and we're going to go through 53, verse 12, in what is called the suffering servant section. And with that, we've been asking the question, talking of Christ, why must the servant of the Lord suffer? And in our very first sermon, we saw because he's true God who became true man, he had all that omniscience. That means he knows everything, although he didn't act like a know-it-all. So we know that he had all the knowledge to bring about the success of your salvation. And he rules over his heavenly throne now using that knowledge, not only to have brought you into salvation, but to keep you in that salvation. In the second sermon in this series, we saw he suffered inhumane treatment so that he could lift you up and make you a child of God. In the third sermon, we saw that there was no worldly glory. He wasn't the handsomest man. He wasn't born a prince or uh, of great political influence. There was nothing worldly or worldly prestigious to attract people to him. Therefore, it has to be a miracle that attracts us to him. And that miracle is the faith that God creates in our heart. And then last week in, uh, in our fourth sermon, we saw that he takes upon himself the sicknesses that causes us so much grief. And that's in the plural, but the biggest sickness that causes us so much grief is what we call original sin. The fact that we have a sinful nature that just is built into us as a slave to the devil that is a mean, lean, God-hating machine. And so he took that up for himself, uh, upon himself, sorry, not for himself, he did it for you, so that he could be the cure for that. And we know in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no sickness, but we also know by the new person that the Holy Spirit creates in our, far, in our hearts because of him, we have healing and peace because of his wounds. So today we continue that theme, why must the servant of the Lord suffer? And as usual, I will be preaching on my own translation of the inspired Hebrew that Isaiah wrote in to bring out uh, some of the things of the Hebrew language that makes for clunky English. In verse 6, we're told, all of us like sheep have wandered off. Each person has turned to his own way. In the area of Wyoming where I grew up, there used to be a very large sheep industry, and it has completely died. However, when I was a much younger man, uh, being someone who enjoyed the desert, I used to walk miles out into the desert, walk up uh, hilltops and other places of the world, they'd be called mountaintops, and just look around and see all of the scenery that Wyoming has to offer. And lots of times on those trips, I would come across those bleach, dried, white bones of sheep. Now, in those days when the sheep industry, sheep herding industry was big in that, in that part of Wyoming, 
they would have wells, usually operated by a, a pump that was turned by wind, and, and there would be water for them. But what happened? Well, that sheep saw a little clump of grass over here, and it went over for that, and then a little clump of grass over there, and it went over for that, and then a little clump of grass over there, something of interest over here. And all of a sudden, it looked back, and it was nowhere near the flock, nowhere near the water, and eventually it died of dehydration. Maybe the coyotes took it down, and there were those bleach-dried bones. Well, that's what happens with our sinful nature. There are many ways that the devil uses our sinful nature to entice us away from the word of God. It can simply be that we find the word of God to be boring. We don't find it applies to us. We find that there's other things to do. And so it's not that the word of God is only found in church on Sunday, but we start staying away from church and we forget to do devotions and to feed that. And, and then one day we look back and we no longer even long to be in that word of God. We've already killed our new person by starving it to death. For other people, it can be things like a sin. I know that the Bible says this is a sin. I don't care. I'm going to do it my way. And that little clump of grass charges us for that sin. And maybe it's, it's that same sin charges us off to another clump of grass. Or maybe it's yet a different sin. And one day we look back and we've driven the Holy Spirit out of our heart. And we're staying away from the word of God. Why must the servant of the Lord suffer? Because every one of us, as Isaiah says, are wandering sheep. In our sinful nature, we cannot even belong to God's flock. He has to put us there. And yet, while we have that new person, until our sinful nature is ripped away when we go to heaven or Christ returns, whatever comes first, there will always be things in this world that the devil uses to entice us away. And so Jesus becomes the lamb of atonement. God becomes part of the flock to cover for us. And can you just imagine shepherding a flock in which every sheep at one time or another is going to head off in a different direction than all the rest of the herd? That seems like stressful work for me. Sheep herders have dogs and things like that to help them. But all of us have built into us that sinful nature that just wants to wander away. And so God becomes a man, becomes part of the flock to atone for our sins. And that starts to be spelled out in the second half of verse 6, where we're told in the Hebrew language, And the Lord has caused the event of the distortions of us to be encountered in him. Wow, is that a clunky sentence in English. The word used for sin there I've mentioned in this series already is when we take God's will and we twist it, we pervert it to excuse our own sin, to serve our sinful nature so that our conscience doesn't haunt us. So this is talking about believers that we turn around and twist what we know is against God's Ten Commandments, but we think we've got a loophole or whatever. And yet he says, the Lord has caused the event of those twistings to be encountered on Jesus. The conjugation used here is God brought it about. How did he do that? Well, he used 
Judas's desire to betray. He used the Sanhedrin's desire to murder. He used the Romans who were willing to be so cruel, the Roman soldiers, and he used Pilate's cowardice. Now, it's not that God predestined that all these would happen. It's that God knew all things. And this is part of that using his knowledge to make it happen. So everything culminates in Christ being nailed to that cross. And it is there that he encounters all of, all of our sins are encountered upon him if you will. This is where we see him becoming the atoning lamb. And verse 7 spells all the more out. We're told he has been oppressively pressured for payment. Now, the conjugation used there can be passive or reflexive. Passive being payment is just forced upon him. And that is always a nuance of that is there. But reflexive means that he allowed this to happen upon himself. And in case, so we, in case we think that it was just that God the Father drugged Jesus along like a father abusing a child who's, I don't want anything to do with that. The very next part of verse 7 tells us, yet he is the one who humbled himself. He allowed all of that to happen so that all of your and my sins would be encountered upon him. It's why he took on human flesh. It's why he became one of the sheep in the flock, although he was very uniquely the sheep of atonement. So he became the atoning lamb. Now, our text continues then, verse 7, and tells us, Yet he has not opened his mouth. As a lamb is being brought to the slaughter, and as a ewe in front of her shears keeps herself silent, so he did not open his mouth. Christ did not defend himself before the Sanhedrin or before Pilate. And it's because it was a railroad job. Ah, but people say, but he speaks up at those trials. Let's look at some of that in the Passion history. First of all, after Jesus is arrested, he's brought to Annas. Annas was a deposed high priest. He had upset the Romans politically, so the Roman government deposed him. And so he's brought to Annas, and Annas is supposed to find charges so that they can bring him to the Roman government so they can murder him. Follow the logic there. They can't, if they kill him, the Romans will say you're murderers. They have to get the government to do it. So Annas's job is to find charges. Imagine such a corrupt system. Imagine going to court where we've arrested you and now we've got to find charges so that we can give you the death penalty. So in John 18, verses 19 through 21, we're told the high priest, in this case it's Annas, the deposed high priest, questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in a synagogue or at the temple where all the Jews gather. I said nothing in secret. Why are you questioning me? Ask those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. If you want to know what I taught, I taught publicly and openly. I was never in secret about it. That's a comfort for you and I. Sometime after Christ ascended, there came a cult known as Gnosticism. It's when you mixed Eastern uh, philosophy and our, our Eastern religion with, uh, with Greek philosophy. And they, they, it engulfed even Christianity where there were secret things you needed to know. You had to be a member of the Royal Order Water Buffalo and know the secret handshake or whatever. That's when you come across Christians that are trying to keep things like that secret, something's wrong. Christ was very open. He'd come 
to save us from our sins. Even John the Baptist was very open. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus doesn't speak here in his defense. Instead, he says, if you're trying to find something in my teaching, you don't even have to question me. It's right out there in the open. Now, next, uh, Annas' son-in-law, Caiaphas, was the one who'd been made the high priest. And Matthew tells us that he's the next one to question him. In Matthew 26, verses 63 through 68, the high priest, again, this one's Caiaphas, stood up and said to him, have you no answer? What is this that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I place you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you have said. But I tell you, soon you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He's spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? See, you have just heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, He's deserving of death. Then they spit in his face and punched him. Some slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you. So Jesus is going to be crucified for being for saying for actually literally being the son of God and the defense if you that he he gives is is not a defense to say don't kill me he says yeah it is as you said I am the son of God and you're gonna see my power that especially is gonna happen on the last day but remember these guys had to bribe the Roman guards to cover the empty tomb next after that Luke reports another incident to us Luke chapter 22, verses 66 through 71. As soon as it was day, the council of the elders of the people met together, both the chief priests and the experts in the law. They brought him into their Sanhedrin and said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer me or release me. But from now on, the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. They all said, are you then the son of God? He said to them, I am what you are saying. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? For we ourselves have heard it from his own mouth. They're going to kill him for being the son of God. Now, you really can't kill the son of God. We know the tomb stays empty. There's, there's no sin in being the son of God. And the only defense he gives to for himself, it's really not a defense at all. He says, there's no point in answering you. You're not going to listen. You're going to railroad me anyways. Right? You're going to miss the fact. And he even warns them, I am the son of God. Be careful what you're doing. And there's a grace even in that warning when you think about it all along the way. Whether we're talking about Caiaphas or the rest of the Sanhedrin, you better be careful. Think about what you're working against. That's not a defense. That's love telling them, don't do this. Don't dirty your hands with this. But then, as I said, they can't murder him themselves without themselves finding themselves guilty of murder. And many of them... Pilate would have loved to have deposed of them in that way. So we're told in Mark 15, verses 1 through 5, as soon as it was morning, the chief priests, along with the elders, the experts in the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, it is as you say. The chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate questioned him again, are you not going to answer anything? See how many charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus still did not answer anything. So Pilate was amazed. Pilate will send Jesus to Herod. Herod wants to see a magic show. He doesn't get it. He sends him back. Pilate has to say, I find no basis for a charge. Jesus still doesn't defend himself. In all of this, it's not that Jesus is pushing them to crucify him. 
It's just that it's all going to be how he is placed on the New Testament altar of the cross and it encounters him, our sins, so that he can wash them away with our blood or with his blood. Why must the servant of the Lord suffer? Because you and I are wandering sheep. We wander away from the will of the Lord. We wander away from his word. We wander away from his flock. And so Jesus became a human being. He became part of the flock so that he could atone for your and my sins. So he becomes the atoning lamb because you and I wander off. Remember, in the second half of Isaiah 53, verse 6, we were told, And the Lord has caused the event of the distortions of all of us to be encountered in him. Once again, we are reminded the servant suffers. He, true God, becomes a man so that he can encounter our sins. They would be placed upon him and he can wash them away. So you are God's child. Amen. And now you are blessed because you are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. Amen.